It's the yearbook sportscast where we just had April Fool's Day and one of the most famous April Fool's jokes of all time, which you may never have heard, is Sports Illustrated ran an article. I think it was their April 1st issue of 1986. So they ran an article that involved real Mets players and real photographs of Mets players and real quotes from Mets coaches, executives, and Mets players, including the backup catcher at the time, Ron Reynolds. Uh, It was all about a pitcher that uh, could throw, I don't know, something like 150. He was like a weird recluse or a new-agey recluse who could throw like 150, 160 miles an hour, and the Mets were keeping him under wraps. He like came out of nowhere. Uh, It all turned out to be... An April Fool's joke, which was revealed, what, in the, in the next few days after the story was released or a week or two later, something like that. It was, it was all a, uh, an elaborate April Fool's joke that, that, again, included Sports Illustrated photographers taking actual pictures of Mets spring training with this guy working out. It was, uh, it was very well done. Again, April 1st, 1986. The reason we bring this up is because in that article, uh, I think it was the, the character, the pitcher, the fake pitcher, Sid Finch, who uttered, Namaste, which we assume has been a word that's been in use for like 52 million years. But that would have been, I mean, that would, that would have been, if you read that at the time, you, you likely saw this word and you had no idea what it was. And now all these years later, it's mainstream, it's in commercials. But back in April of 1986, Sports Illustrated uttered, Namaste. It says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com to contact us. I'm your host, Doug. Uh, Completely unforeseen circumstances of the virus. Looking for Pringles. You know when you buy Pringles. They have to be perfect. You never want the can where they're all broken inside. And then you don't want the can at all. And then you have to keep the can from moving around in the cart or carriage, depending on where you live. So they don't break that way. So you're going through the store and you're trying to keep the, the Pringles from falling to the cart, especially if you have a half-empty uh, cart or carriage because you don't want it to, to break that way before you get out of the store. But a few days ago, with the virus situation, we were like, we can't touch every Pringles can. We can't test each can and find the ones where all the Pringles are broken. You just have to fly blind and pick one or five. And take your chances. What kind of insane, chaotic world do we live in? Also, the 1994 Minnesota Vikings team picture. You know, the small cardboard team pictures the teams hand out to fans or it's team picture day and uh, first 10,000 or whatever get a free team picture of a team. You know, the souvenir team pictures that teams hand out. The 1994 Minnesota Vikings team picture was sponsored by Target, of course, and Wavy Lays. The Target and Wavy Lays logos were prominently displayed on the Vikings team picture. Now, we were just in Target, not a sponsor, buying unheld, untested Wavy Pringles. Pringles just finally caved and started making Wavy chips, I think, last year. Lays according to the Vikings team picture, has been making Wavy chips since at least... 1994. Another side effect of the whole virus situation on a walk, we saw a stray empty Diet Coke can on the road. But this wasn't any Diet Coke can. It was old. Where did it come from? And how did it wind up here? It didn't wash ashore. Like many other famous old cans, it was on a road. All right, back to sports. Let's not pretend here. 
And I'm serious about that. I am not an expert on labor relations. Although I know someone who is. Yes, and she would be great on this podcast. She would be fantastic. She could really offer something. Well, ultimately, I'm afraid to ask her. That's a really good idea. I think she would have some insight. She's, she's very, very good. But I'm just totally afraid to ask her. That's the real reason. Anyway, this is just a generalized take on the new NFL collective bargaining agreement, CBA. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. This time around, the players had to make significant progress. These CBAs last forever. The one that was just agreed to runs until 2030. And in the past, the union either hasn't taken advantage of some potential leverage or didn't have any power. That was the case in the CBA that was expiring. Why did the players have to make progress? It's not that I'm choosing labor over management. It's that things haven't been fair for the players. Yes, a lot of NFL players make a lot of money, but careers are short And for one, that money evaporates very quickly once all the many, many post-career surgeries, et cetera, come into play. And there are many, many other places where the players were losing out. So if the NFL wants to stay healthy, it needs a huge workforce to continue to be interested in someday playing in the NFL. And if the players keep losing out... We're afraid that's not going to happen. Now, this time around, the players needed a bigger cut of the league's overall revenue, and they needed the league to take care of a lot of health issues. The problem is, word had it, the only thing the players had to give in this situation that the owners cared about was an additional game each regular season. Then word had it that some owners didn't want a 17th regular season game, which was weird because that seemed like the only reason for the owners to even show up to the negotiations. Then word had it that the owners did want a 17th game. Then word had it that the owners, uh, some of them anyway, didn't want a 17th game because what they really wanted was an 18th game. In the end, the players just barely voted for the latest proposal. So there will allegedly be labor peace for the next 10 years. But in one of those, if aliens landed on Earth and they didn't know nothing and you had to explain this to the moments, the league, which claims to be all about protecting the players and players' safety, added another game for the players to play. Supposedly, this means one fewer preseason game, but many players don't play at all in the preseason and many others only play one series or one quarter. In a 17th regular season game, they'll be playing all right and they'll be playing four quarters. A real concession would have been only two preseason games or fewer, which is also a concession on my part as a fan since I really enjoy watching the exhibition games and seeing the new guys try to make the team. Setting the health issues aside for just a moment, what if the 17th game goes the other way? Teams that have already clinched currently often rest all their good players for game number 16. I assume everyone involved here has done the math, but will an extra game just mean even more resting of players? Will it mean a 17th game oversaturation snore that NBA owner Mark Cuban once warned about? Now back to the health issue. Is the 17th game just a subtle way to groom the players for an eventual 18th game? The players do win some things this time around, including more money, and more money in the pensions of former players, but they're still not getting even 50% of the league's revenue, and there are cuts to disability benefits that mean reductions in payments to former players who are permanently disabled and can't work. Now, I assume that any vast labor contract 
is going to have buried within it. It's going to have holes that affect someone. But it just seems cruel to skimp on the former players with the biggest problems. On Twitter, the NFL's union explained that they agreed to permanent disability reductions to get a boost in pension benefits, which they say will allow more people to qualify for benefits. So more people will be able to get involved. But still, again, the former players who need more money the most will get less. Also, when it comes to taking care of former pro football players, and this is just conjecture, this is not included in any agreement, can there ever be enough money to go around? I'm not an accountant. This is not a rhetorical question. I honestly don't know. And this is not at all to let the owners off the hook. Not at all. I just don't know how much money would be needed to properly take care of so many current and ex-players with so many injuries, many of them serious. Can even a multi-billion dollar industry afford to pay all of these medical bills? I hope so. Because again, I love football. And I hope extra games and cuts and benefits here and there don't lead to its extinction. The Scheme is a two-hour HBO documentary about the recent federal investigation into cheating in college basketball. I definitely didn't want to give anything away. You might think it's good. You might be disappointed. But if you have the chance, see what you think. But there is one thing, and this is a giveaway, but I promise it's not a big one, and it is not the centerpiece of the movie. Full disclosure, we have said before that we are fans of college and former pro coach Rick Pitino, but I would hope that we wouldn't let anything cloud our judgment at all on this. This documentary, The Scheme, is almost the best thing that could have possibly happened to Rick Pitino. The best thing would have been the movie presenting evidence that completely exonerates Pitino, who had a bunch of run-ins with the NCAA before the federal investigation ultimately did him in. The second best thing which is the thing that happened in the scheme, was having a government investigation trying to force a narrative and intentionally singling out and targeting Patino. The movie alleges that among all the many college coaches being investigated, the FBI really wanted to take down Rick Patino. It's not the crux of the movie, and the scheme definitely is not a Rick Patino puff piece. And it's not Patino making these claims, it's two witnesses. Rick Pitino isn't even in the movie. There is almost no way Pitino could look any better right now. Because of the scandal, Pitino was famously fired from Louisville in 2017. He was just recently hired by Iona College, but everyone's just waiting for a reason for Iona to also fire Pitino. Now, a movie about college basketball behind the scenes mentions he might be a victim which is what Patino's been saying all along. I absolutely believe Patino has cheated throughout his career, just like everyone else, which doesn't make it right. But there's no reason for Iona to fire him now. Of all the coaches mentioned and shown in the scheme, no one comes out of it looking better than Rick Patino. Again, I'm not faulting the movie. It's a, we thought it was good. I'm not, it's not the fault of the movie. The movie is just telling it the the person who's the centerpiece of the movie he says he's just telling it like it is so it's not the fault of the movie but a movie the scheme that threatens to spill all these secrets and blow the lid off college basketball turns out to benefit rick patino big time